Hi, this is Paul. And this is Grant. Uh, and welcome to the Atypical Rainbow. Today's episode is one about gaily life. So I feel like um, we can't start recording a podcast in this era without talking about coronavirus because it is the unavoidable topic of our lifetime. <laughs> there is nothing else going on. <laughs> yeah, well, that that too. There's a lot of stuff that's been in, in the past, but um, yes, coronavirus is something you kind of have to acknowledge because if you don't acknowledge it, it seems like you're ignoring it and um, you're trying to be all uh, Trumpian about it was the first adjective that I thought. <laughs> Yes, I think if you if you have a conversation that's not about coronavirus, everyone's just thinking, why are we not talking about coronavirus? <laughs> why are we avoiding this topic? Um, so I completely agree with you. Yeah. So for me, if looking at it through the lens of isolation and parenting, I think one of the things that happened to me just before the shutdown was that I had this revelation that I didn't have that many friends. And you know, maybe I'm unpopular. Maybe it's because I just didn't make the effort. Maybe I didn't care. Uh, I think you're very selective about your friends. <laughs> yeah, maybe too much so. Possibly too much. So we went to a, a friend's wedding. Um, when was it? What? And I, it was February 29th, which is why it was so significant. And one of my old high school acquaintances, his boyfriend, we met his boyfriend for the first time. His boyfriend was perfectly lovely. And before we left the wedding uh, late that evening, he said, you know, if you guys ever needed uh, some gay friends, because I, I don't, also don't have that many gay friends. I've literally two, uh, one of whom I met through Grant and the other one I've been friends with since we were 12 and we're not friends because we're gay. We just always have been. But, you know, he made this offer and I thought, oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe I should broaden the scope of the kind of friends I have. And then we all got shut down and the opportunity went away. And one of, so one of the things I've noticed since we all started hiding in our homes is that I actually get a lot of incidental socializing through work. And I guess it, it's, it's a thing that I didn't think I'd miss, but I really miss socializing. And I really, it makes me feel a little bit miserable and a bit isolated. Duh, because we're isolating, but you know, emotionally isolated. Yes. Whereas someone who's used to having the house themselves probably doesn't feel as isolated. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's more like everyone's here all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is interesting, the things that I never really thought I had to prioritize that are now impossible. Like I was going to go and pop in and visit the kids prep teacher just to say hello um, in a new classroom. And I didn't get around to it. And we got into lockdown and now... I can't just pop in at the end of the day to say hello. And like the last couple of years at like Easter time, the kids would take chocolate eggs to all their ex-teachers as well as their current teacher. And it was kind of this nice seeing the teachers from the previous years and the teachers liked it and the kids liked it, but we didn't make it to Easter. Like we got shut down very suddenly a week out from Easter. So we couldn't do that sort of. I'd say it's tradition after a couple of years, mm. but it was like this thing that I, at the start of the year, I would never have considered we wouldn't better do. Yeah. Yeah. The little things you kind of appreciate. I mean, I know that early on in the shutdown, we were kind of worried how our kids would cope, but in Victoria, luckily the shutdown happened just as school holidays was going to start anyway. So it wasn't going to be radically different. And then essentially I completely forgot that our children had autism so they really enjoy being by themselves and really enjoy being at home and all these things I was worried about weren't really an issue but who knows I mean who knows however long this shutdown lasts if the break in routine is going to continue is it continues it who knows what kind of problem it's going to present
Yeah. And I think, um, especially this year, I've noticed with one of the kids that they really want to make sure that the teacher's okay with things, not just the daddy's okay with them. So today I, w- I was saying, would you like me to staple this booklet that was all just loose leaves of paper? And he's like, what if it's not okay? And I'm like, I think your teacher is reasonable enough that she's not going to fail you for grade three because I stapled a booklet. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very rule-based way of thinking. Classic stuff, you know, you don't give, give, if you don't get given the clear instructions, could you get in trouble for doing it wrong? Yes. But homeschooling, obviously, has been an interesting experience. I feel like the people who would thrive in this current environment would be autistic people, vegetarians, and homeschooling parents who are all like, we've been doing this for ages now. What are you all complaining about running out of meat and having to not have teachers look after your children? Fair. Yes. Fresh fruit and veggies, the one thing you can rely on getting. Mm. Although, obviously, with all the changes to the shopping hours and the, the limits and stuff, that has gotten a lot better. Oh, it's much better than it was. Like, there was those weeks where I'd call and say, oh, the only meat in the entire store is mincemeat. <laughs> Can we make an entire week out of just mincemeat? <laughs> I remember, um, obviously, everyone knows about the toilet paper panic early on. And I remember being quite smug going, I'm Asian. I've been toilet paper hoarding for years and years now. God bless Costco. And... It's, you know, I jokingly said it, but actually, uh, I looked around our house today and I thought, in every bathroom, there is a 12-pack of toilet paper. And I've still got, like, two other packs. <laughs> you were hoarding before it was cool. Yeah, exactly. I'm a trendsetter. That's me. One of the other upsides is that you couldn't choose another co-host. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm stuck with you, <laughs> damn it. I was your only option. Unless <laughs> you wanted to co-host with one of the kids. <laughs> No, it's, um, yeah, the, the, the loss of choice in general, I think, is a theme of being, uh, in living in this day and age. Yeah. Day two of homeschooling today was very interesting. There's a lot more soft toy hugging being allowed during school than normal and a lot more being upside down and standing on one's head. What? Who was standing on their head? <laughs> I think you know who's standing on his head. Oh, dear. <laughs> like, part of it, like, he was standing on his head during our morning warm-up with permission, but then he spent a lot of time just being upside down <laughs> whenever the work got hard. <laughs> yes. So, in my experience working with uh, people with autism, but also with intellectual disability, one of the new things that I learned about when I started the job was the idea of um, vestibular stimulation. So I never thought about it in that kind of group context, but there are people with autism who really like trampolines and mm. they like, you know, the feeling of spinning around and it's this, you know, so you wanna, do you want to give a proper definition? <laughs> Cause so, we're not all GPs. <laughs> yes. So vestibular refers to balance, uh, particularly the balance that your inner ear controls. Um, your balance in general is controlled by a combination of your cerebellum, uh, which is part of your brain, and then the inner ear. But So when you talk about the concept of vestibular, it's motion. And so it, for people, certain people with autism, one of the things that really positively stimulates them, because that's what autism is, it's about um, sensory differences, both positive and negative. And so one of the things that can be quite stimulating, yeah, is this, this vestibular thing. So jumping up and down, spinning around in circles, it just brings them joy and makes them happier and, and gets them energized. So you try to... What you then do is you want to get the the carers to try and incorporate that into their day-to-day life in the same way that we might want to meditate or do Pilates or watch some TV. You know, we try to insert 
uh, a, a positive thing into every day just because it's fun. It doesn't have to have a purpose. It just has to make you feel good, you know? Um, so yes, maybe, maybe our kids like the upside down feeling because it hits that vestibular good spot. You know, He definitely likes being upside down. I asked him if he knows why. He does not know why he wants to be upside down all the time. <laughs> but he definitely enjoys it <laughs> with the amount of time he spends upside down. Mm. Yeah, and I think homeschooling has also brought to light the idea of... Actually, being in isolation, I think, has brought to my mind particularly the idea of visual cues. So, uh, I'm working completely from home as in my role as a, a GP and educator, and I struggle to leave work aside because my work computer is also my home computer. So, the thing that, all, that usually brings me joy through browsing the internet and watching TV uh, is also now the thing where I can check my emails and do my notes and finish my reports. And uh, and it's exhausting because at any given moment, I will have a thought that comes in my head that goes, you could do some work right now. You could easily just click over onto that little mail icon and check your mail. And um, I have to remind myself to do that. So for the kids, um, we, we had to sort of think about, well, how do we help them distinguish between what is home, which is their sanctuary and the thing that brings them joy, um, versus what is school, which they enjoy. They enjoy school, but it is still a very different experience. It is, and certainly there is more pressure to do things that are not just because you feel like doing them. We had our, our, our friends, they have a, I think he's five, I think he's a five-year-old, uh, four or five years old, and he... Um, he's a prep. He's in prep. Yeah. And he, he has a bit of concentration issues to begin with, but uh, his parents have created a little station with a, little, with a sticker of the school symbol, and they get him to wear a school uniform every day. And that makes sense to me. Like, it's actually a very logical thing to in order to psychologically prepare your child for something. And so we had to kind of think, well, do we need to do that for our kids? And so far, I don't think we have had to. I've been doing the walk to school thing mm. where last yesterday we walked around the block. Today, one of them ran around the backyard while the other one did star jumps and stood on his head in the dojo. <laughs> we, are, we are lucky enough to have a second living room, which... The previous owners used as a like a TV room for the kids and the parents. Actually, no, sorry, there was a good room, and the the second living room was a just an everyday casual room for when the queen wasn't there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then we um, bought some gym mats and turned it to what we called the dojo because one of our kids does karate and other does gymnastics. They rarely ever use it for that purpose until now when they can't go to gymnastics and karate. But before then, they just use it as a um. A, uh, an imagination playground, essentially. Just it's it's a battle arena for their Pokemon and um, somewhere where they can enact birthdays and all kinds of adorable things. So, yeah. Yes, and we, probably be upside down. And probably be upside down <laughs> in a in a safe place because you know land crash landing on wooden floors probably isn't particularly comfortable, mm-hmm. but crash landing on a gym mat generally better. Uh, but we call it the dojo um, because it's easier than calling it the second living room. Mm. <laughs> um. What were we even talking about? I got completely distracted. We were talking about coronavirus. And mainly we've talked about things that probably apply to everyone. Yeah. So maybe we should talk about... Oh, actually, we've talked a bit about autism. Um, actually, so we so just to finish off a thought. So we got the idea of, um, of creating the routine actually from a friend of ours who works for a fairly major company who 
have gone to the effort to try and help their employees create some normality and routine uh, again from a visual visual and psychological point of view so what they do is they've encouraged everyone to do something in the morning that is different from the rest of their day as though they were commuting so obviously not getting on a train to go into the city to work but just something different so that you can tell yourself this is how your day is starting and they've also scheduled in morning tea break where everyone can socialize and and then at the end of the day they do the same kind of leaving Unusual leaving routine. Yeah, like a digital water cooler. Hmm. It's discussed Tiger King, apparently. Oh, God, yes. Which we have not watched. No. So we do not understand the appeal of. We are avid TV fans, but even Tiger King sounds a little bit too ridiculous for our liking. I think my main fear is if we start watching it, we'll just join the cult. <laughs> yeah, see... I, I felt that way about Harry Potter when it first came out, and then I caved in. Maybe I should just cave into Tug Eating, knowing my pattern. Maybe you should. Mm. Um, but yeah, so, we, you know, we, we've tried to create that kind of routine for the kids and go for a walk around the block. It's, it is exercise, so it's within coronavirus rules. We're not going to get pulled over by the police for doing the wrong thing. Uh, and they kept to the tradition of having a meltdown halfway around, so it was very lovely. <laughs> oh, good, good. Well, then the routine is kept. Excellent. <laughs> That's why we did it yesterday and not this morning. <laughs> What were they melting down about? Uh, Mozzie bites. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mozzie bites combined with pants. Not a good combination. Yeah. So it was the wrong weather for shorts. Otherwise, would have gone in shorts today. So we decided to wear shorts while we exercised in the dojo instead. Uh, it was a compromise. So yeah, I've, this is one of the many wonderful genetic features I've passed on to our kids is, um, yeah, uh, attraction of mozzies because mozzies love me, particularly in at the in at night and in cold weather. For whatever reason, they just come at me. And uh, yeah, it's quite frustrating and itchy. So yes, got to love genetics. <laughs> sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good. Hmm. But yeah, coronavirus. So you you were telling me earlier about um, one of the things. Yes, about um, how a number of people have said that living with coronavirus is similar to living as a minority. And I thought that was a really interesting thing. Like they were talking generally about um, more racial minorities and religious minorities, about the idea of like over-policing and being afraid of the police, like people going out, you know, for a walk, in the park and being questioned by the police. Like, why are you here? What are you doing? Where are you going? Um, and this is how some minorities live. But I also thought it was an interesting parallel to living as a gay person. Because you go out and people don't have a giant sign above their head saying homophobe. Mm. And people, you go out now and people don't have a giant sign about their head saying, I have the coronavirus. Mm. So the idea of constantly looking at everyone and thinking, is this person a physical danger to me? Like, I thought that that was very similar to, yeah, the experience of being a gay person sometimes. Because, you know, most people don't have coronavirus and most people are not going to attack you. <laughs> but you only need to see one person who has coronavirus or one person who is a homophobe who's going to get violent and you're sort of in danger. Yeah, I get that because I I get a a chronic reflux cough that gets me particularly when I'm anxious. So it's a self feeding cycle. The first time I went grocery shopping after the restrictions were fairly heavily enforced, 
I was quite nervous and looking around and every time thinking, if someone hears me cough, I'm going to be mobbed with pitchforks and torches. As soon as I cough, I'm running the hell away. Uh, well, I remember late January, I had a cough, which was probably from the um, the bushfires, but I didn't go to school drop-off or pick-up for the first couple of days of the year, um, and you went instead, uh, because I thought, if I do cough, people might forget. I also avoided going to catch up with friends, like I avoided going to a housewarming, and I avoided going to my weekly D&D, just in case... I had coronavirus in late January, which I didn't, and the chances were very small. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I like. I was kind of like I. I remember saying to a friend, like, "I haven't seen you yet because I'm worried that if I cough near a prep, I'll freak out the entire school." <laughs> 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 so I, I went in. I think on like the third day for like pick up, and I was like, like constantly just like sipping water and making sure I wasn't didn't cough and like, like I was really paranoid about coughing on, like, the 30th of January, where, like, there was, like, no coronavirus in Australia. <laughs> but let's also remember that that was also around the time when we just came back from Japan and Vietnam. And I yes. think the first cases were being reported. I mean, the likelihood that we actually had it was still incredibly low. But, you know, the panic... Not the panic, but there was already some rumblings of of things happening. Yeah, but I, I also didn't fit the criteria to be tested to determine I didn't have the coronavirus. So, I obviously... Was not seen as a threat. Not at that point, no. And under current criteria, now you would be. Now I would, but this was months ago. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't feel like months ago, though. It feels like an <laughs> age ago. Things have changed very quickly. Mm. It's, it's interesting sort of making the comparison to um, minorities because I remember years and years ago, I saw a TED Talk um, by this... I'm going to say Irish drag queen. I can't remember precisely. Which bit are you not sure? Irish or drag queen? Both. <laughs> well, no, I'm pretty sure it was Irish. And <laughs> it was talking... Uh, she was talking about how even though... Um, this, this, is, this is after gay marriage passed in uh, Republic of Ireland. Yes. And she was talking about how even though it had passed, she was still afraid to hold her husband's hand in public. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, f- I felt bad because she was right. You know, you don't know. As you said, there's no sign above anyone saying, I am a homophobe or I'm going to attack you. You're just never quite sure how people are going to react. Mm. And then my immediate thought, because I'm that selfish kind of person, is thank God I don't like holding hands. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't have to, I mean, I don't have to think about whether or not I... Uh, signal my sexuality to other people and it's not like i'm hiding it i i don't think that my sexuality is particularly obvious maybe it is maybe it isn't in my opinion i don't think it is um but it's not an act and i'm i'm really actually really grateful for that i'm like it's it's a weird small thing to be grateful for but i'm grateful that i am not an obvious target other than the fact that I'm Asian, but even that kind of stuff doesn't necessarily... Actually, let me take that back. In the age of coronavirus, I think that is actually coming back. Uh, But before then, not an issue. Yes, that is very true. Like, I remember during the marriage equality debate here, um, I think it was a bit different for me and you because you, at work, your sexuality was irrelevant. So people didn't know about it. Whereas being a gay parent, my sexuality was very obvious and very out there. So I think that I... 
like in a way it did lead to probably a lot more people talking to me about it and talking about their support of it. Whereas your patients probably didn't know you were gay because there was no, because your sexuality is irrelevant to the care you were giving them. It was for the most part. So because mental health was my main specialty, um, I did have a number of uh, LGBT patients, obviously mostly LG rather than the other letters. Uh, But one of the things that is often valuable in mental health that I, I personally find is relatability. There, in, in my opinion, there, it is a bit of an old school mentality to think that you have to be this distant, cold professional to, in, in order to engage clinically well with your patients. But I think relatability makes a lot of difference. Uh, being able to communicate in a way that is both sympathetic and empathetic, I think, is a, is valuable for a lot of people and, and often goes quite a, is, is quite appreciated by the by the people that at least stuck around anyway. Mm. I don't know if it necessarily applies to everyone, you know, because I don't get told when people have rejected me. But uh, in in that situation, it was relevant. But you're right. In for, for the most part, it never came up, and no one ever necessarily asked, except for the older patients. Because the thing is, I wear a wedding ring, mm. um, and so a lot of them will ask about my wife. Uh, or send me food or send you food <laughs> yes and actually you know what I did hide then I didn't even th- I, it didn't even dawn on me it was just such a natural thing in mm. those situations I would lie and just say yeah yeah sure I would try to avoid saying the word wife I felt like actually acknowledging the word was more of a lie than if I just used vague pronouns and, and other terminology uh, because the other thing that helps uh, people relate to me is kids so me mm. having kids makes me seem more um, friendly. I don't know. Friendly is the right word. Accessible, maybe, is the the, the word for it. But less like Julia Gillard. <laughs> maybe. Oh god, that's a whole different topic. Uh, but yeah, I just I, I it was a it was a nice little device. You know, it was, it was it was something I could talk about. It was a way I could talk about my family without really mentioning my sexuality. And yeah. unfortunately, because yeah. you used to have a picture of you and the boys. In your reception, didn't you? Uh, like your family photo at Roville? Yes, that's right. Was you and the boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and again, it was... People just assumed your wife took the photo. <laughs> maybe. I, did, I hadn't even thought about that because that's that's really calculated. I had, Like, I could have just as easily taken some sort of headshot and been very dull and professional about it. But I, I went to the effort of saying, hey, everyone, I have children like me, like me. I thought that, I thought the idea of the photos is you guys were meant to be more relatable yeah. than just a headshot. So I, think, I, I don't think it was calculated on your point. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I... I I, I made people aware that I have kids. Um, and I don't know. It, it obviously... It, it allows me to tell stories that are amusing and kind of cute. And I think I also used it as a tool for um, when it, when diagnosing a child with autism too. Yes. I think that it, it made me seem more sympathetic and understanding, which I was. I was sympathetic and understanding. But, you know, it's all about the image too and how people perceive how you understand things because we all we all know that relatability makes a big difference it doesn't matter if you know the facts i mean knowing the facts is fine and and sometimes in certain areas is more valuable but really we feel more comfortable with people 
who we think, at the very least think, if not necessarily know, either are going through or have gone through what we've gone through. Yes, I think I think that is a big strength, mm. having autistic children, because it is a hard conversation. I remember when we got told, we took it quite well, and the psychologist was very surprised. Mm. Uh, so then I think, yeah, you've told me about people who are taking it not so well. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so the, all this coronavirus stuff really, it, I think it makes you reevaluate things about your life. So with the kids, I guess one of the things I have uh, learned to appreciate more is my private time. And that's the thing, you know, you can close the door, but it's very different to having an empty house. And for someone like myself who who has autism, you know, it really it really matters that, that, you know, hour or two a week that I might get where you and the kids are at soccer class or gymnastics or wherever you may be, mm. it it allows me to reset. And we all need that. You know, everyone Everyone needs that moment to reset. Some people exercise, some people meditate, some people go to church, and that, that that's what brings them that kind of peace, and that's great. But that's not for me. I need silence. <laughs> well, I find even sometimes just being in the foyer of a class, like the kids are in the class, they've got, like, I'm not far away, but technically another adult is going to try to deal with issues before I have to deal with it. Mm. So it's kind of like, even though I'm only in the foyer of where they are, it is some time where I know I'm not in charge. And that's the thing. I think especially with the homeschooling, like they're meant to do it by themselves. And mostly they have been. But just knowing that they'll just pop up with questions mm. or those come by to tell me what the other one's doing <laughs> um, or whatever. Like I just, I feel more on with them in the house doing homeschooling, even if I'm not physically you know, trying to help them understand a worksheet or something. I think that's what people underestimate about parenting in that even when you're not necessarily directly interacting with your children, you're constantly aware or you're constantly um, on guard because you never quite know exactly when they're going to want your input, positive or negative. And so I think that's also part of it because, you know... um, I, I, I love my TV. TV has been a massive passion and I like being able to choose what I watch. And sometimes I watch some, you know, not safe for kids stuff. Uh, not necessarily anything big. It might just be a swear word here or there. But all of a sudden having the children around mean that even if I am just chilling out in our bedroom and watching TV, I have to just listen out for footsteps. If I hear footsteps on the stairs, I have to pause because if it's at a moment that I don't want them to see, or if it's, there are words I don't want them to hear, I then have to stop. And, you know, let's face it. I like control. I like being able to decide what happens to my life and how I decide my day. Um, and so having that taken away where there isn't a minute that couldn't possibly be interrupted or be impacted on by someone else and doesn't even have to be the kids but by someone else it i feel like i can't relax i remember a few years ago when we were watching elementary and we had this joke that whenever the kids the kids would always come when there was a body on screen so we'd pause it and we just end up with a screen with just a picture of a corpse on it Oh, that was oddly, oddly serendipitous. I don't know how that kept happening. So bad. <laughs> that might be why we're so far behind on elementary. <laughs> yeah. 
think about a season and a half, maybe. Um, yeah, it's just you you learn to appreciate the little things, and you know it's funny. We were the, this wedding where we met this uh, this friend's boyfriend. We were and having for some reason told him about our lack of gay friends. <laughs> I don't know. It comes up naturally to you know, a bunch of gays meet and you just talk about it. I don't know. So we also uh, met this uh, lesbian couple who were about to have kids. And then uh, one of uh, another guest came along and she, she also has twins. So uh, I've, I've met her sort of through other mutual events. And all we did was just not complain about the kids necessarily, but talk about how wonderful it was not to have children for the, for just for the night, you know, being able to uh, stay in a quiet house and have a bit of a drink and not worry about things. Um, and this lesbian couple were, were shocked and they're like, do we really want to have kids? We're like, no, 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 kids are great. Kids are great. It, it was, it's completely worth it. Can't imagine our lives without them. But sometimes you just need a win. Like sometimes you kind of have to say, I love my kids, but they need to get out of my life right now because I'm just really Yeah, tired. and I think you also need to talk to other people People who understand, like, we don't interact with that many people who have twins. Mm. So I think it was a, like, a good opportunity for us to go, oh, you know, it's like, what it's like to have twins. And I think her twins had just started prep yeah. this year. Yeah. Terrible year to start prep. <laughs> I have to say, everyone whose kids started prep this year, I feel so bad for them. Because, like, a number of them with older siblings would have been waiting, like, basically going to school for their entire life so far with their older siblings finally get there they're so proud in their uniforms and then they didn't even make it a term mm. like that would have been so hard and i like i i think back to when we were at that point if this had happened in the boys prep, prep year i would have lost my mind like i would have gone what i waited for so long for this <laughs> Finally, like, they're at school, there's the structure, and especially because I wasn't overly happy with their four-year-old kinder year, it was, like, a really really good relief to be at a good school, good prep, they had a good teacher, and, yeah, I think if we had suddenly lost it, like, less than a term in, it would just been so hard. Mm. Yeah. I mean, again, there are, we are one of the, we are lucky on a number of levels, um, you know, we, we are lucky to have had a school that has always been very supportive and um, always been very effective at what they do. Yeah, um, and our kids aren't doing VC or being in prep. Oh, God. Because <laughs> I think either extreme would have been crazy. Mm. Um, so, any other any other thoughts, any other feelings that this isolation has brought to your mind? No, I think we've covered most of it. Okay. Um, so for anyone out there, if you've got a story, if you've got, um, tips and advice about how you're sort of coping through isolation, if there are anything unique, anything issues that are unique to gay parents that has come out as a result of, um, coronavirus, let us know, uh, post up something on Facebook, message us, uh, and who knows, we may discuss it again later, but, uh, but thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.